Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe. Well, good morning, Ninth Avenue family and friends. I'm glad that you have uh, taken the opportunity to join with us on what was supposed to be a completely different day. Today was supposed to be a day uh, that was about moving forward. Today was supposed to be a day about celebrating uh, our, our leaders and, and looking towards the future uh, and looking at things that maybe we can accomplish together. But unfortunately, we've had to put a pause on that. I was having a conversation uh, with my good friend, Justin Pinnell. He's the minister at Shared Avenue. Many of you have connections there at Shared Avenue in Florence. We were talking about uh, the word normal last week and, and how we we really just, you know, we, we are grasping for anything that feels normal in the midst of a challenging time in our, in our own communities. And one of the things that we talked about was in the church, uh, within our church families, that we are nowhere near what our new normal is going to be, that it's going to be some time before we get back to a place where things feel normal again. And today is, is, is proof of that. You know, we've been rolling along really well, uh, being back together and worshiping with one another. And I know that I enjoy those moments and long for those moments, even from Sunday to Sunday, much less when we go through a period of time of, of not being together. I long for it even more, but today is 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 just a little bit of a setback, and I really wouldn't even call it a setback. I would say today is just a, a, a pause to make sure that that we are being as as cautious and um, as as uh, smart and wise as possible. Uh, we we don't want anyone uh, to to come into contact with any illness while they are here. And so in that effort, we pause our in-person worship today so that uh, we can do our best to love each and every one of our brothers and sisters. But with that idea, okay, with that idea, I want us to, to go to chapter 16 where, where, um, of Acts where Tanner read from us. I gave him a, a rather long passage to read this morning because I wanted you to kind of get the whole context of what was going on there. But what we're going to talk about this morning really you know, really does, I think, hit home with, with where we are in just our world in general, okay? Just our world in general. Because if you were to ask me, if you were to ask me what Satan's greatest power is, now, a lot of people may, may disagree with me on this, but I, I've got this opinion, okay? This is my thought, is that Satan, his Satan has what I call a shotgun approach, okay? He, he has a shotgun. Satan isn't necessarily a sharpshooter. Satan uses a shotgun approach to where he's just going to to shoot at you and, you know, with a big spread and what hits, hits, and what doesn't, doesn't. Okay, he's not necessarily a sharpshooter. His, his best... His best ability is to just throw everything at you and maybe sometimes see what sticks. That's just kind of my thoughts. And one of the things that I think Satan is the best at, though, at, at, in that throwing everything at you, is throwing distractions our way. You know, distractions in and of themselves, they're not sinful, are they? Distractions aren't sinful. But what they can do is they can take our focus off what's most important. Now, we may still be seeing what's most important, but our focus isn't right there with what is most important. You know, over the last few days, 
on my Twitter feed, on my Facebook feed. I can't tell you how many people, how many people I saw complaining or talking about the presidential debate. And I just thought, you know what? Now, don't get me wrong. I, the, the election is an important thing for, for our nation. I, I truly believe that. We live in a very great nation to where we have the ability to have say in who our leaders are. But what I thought about was did Satan use, did Satan use the debate, did Satan use the debate as a great distraction for Christians? To where for nearly a week now, I've seen Christians talking about the debate on social media and in conversations instead of what? Maybe sharing the story of Jesus. And, and not that there's anything wrong with watching the debate, not that there's anything wrong with being involved, you know, in, in, in those type of things. But what if it was, what if it shifts our focus just enough to where we're really not paying attention to the most important thing? And in Acts chapter 16, there's a moment in the life of Paul. This is one of my favorite moments in the life of Paul where, where Paul's focus could have very easily been shifted. And we're going to see what he does to keep that focus the way it needs to be. Now, I want to share with you a story that I read not too long ago that a, it was really more of a research project that a professor at Northwest University did. And as she was doing the study, she was studying Olympic medalists. She was studying Olympic medalists because she wanted to see who was the happiest Olympic medalist. So what I mean by that is she wanted to see which uh, Olympic medal made you the happiest. So in her study, she found out, of course, the people who won the gold medal were the happiest of all the Olympians. Why? Because they had achieved the greatest award, okay? But of the other two, of the silver and bronze medalists, of silver and bronze medalists, who do you think might have been the happiest to receive their award? Believe it or not, according to her research, it was the bronze medalist. Now, why would that be? I mean, they are in third place. A lot of people say third place is just the second loser, right? So, so why are they so excited that they got third place? Well, what she discovered in her research is that um, silver medalists tend to focus on how close they came to winning the gold, and bronze medalists focused on how close they came to not winning anything at all. And what she said in the end of her research was that she, she has decided that your focus determines your reality. Think about that statement for just a moment. Your focus determines your reality. How you feel isn't determined by objective circumstances. If that was the case, the silver medalist would be more happy than a bronze medalist, right? Because they had achieved better results. But how we feel isn't determined by our objective circumstances. How we feel is determined by our focus. And that is so true, isn't it? All of us know people, and this is just, this is how you prove it. All of us know people how even in bad circumstances, they're always able to what? Find that silver lining. They're always able to turn something bad and look at it and say, oh, that's bad, but let me tell you about it. Let me put a positive spin on it. And, and vice versa. We all know people who are just negative people, and no matter how great things are going on around them, they're going to find something to complain about. Now, there's a universal principle that I need to share with you right out of the gate, and it is this. We tend to see 
what we're looking for. We tend to see what we're looking for. I believe that there are two basic types of people in the world. I believe on this side over here, there are complainers. And on this side over here, there are worshipers. Complainers find anything they can to complain about. Worshipers find only reasons to worship God regardless of the circumstance that is going on around us. Now, I believe in that idea, all of us develop a hypothesis or a thought about everything all the time. Then we look for evidence to support that hypothesis and ignore evidence of the contrary. For example, Brian's here with us this morning. Let's say that I have made up my mind that I'm not going to like Brian. No matter what Brian does, I'm not going to like Brian. I've made up my mind. Brian's not a good guy. Brian's not a good person. I don't like Brian. And because I've made my mind up with that, I'm not going to see any of the positive things that I might actually like about Brian. But let's look at the flip side of that. Patty loves Brian. And because Patty has made up her mind that she loves Brian, she is not going to see as many or be put off by as many of the maybe negative things. Not that there's a lot of negative about you, Brian, but the, the maybe the negative things, the things that might get on someone else's nerves about Brian, they're not going to bother Patty. Why? Because Patty has made up her mind. She's going to what? She's going to love him. And so she's predetermined that in her mind. We see what we're looking for. Now, you may ask, what does any of that have to do with worship? Well, I believe a worshiper makes a predecision, okay? They make up their mind to look for something to praise God about, even in the worst of circumstances. A worshiper is always looking for a reason to bring honor and glory and praise to God, regardless of what's going on around them. And Acts chapter 16 is a prime example of this very idea. In Acts chapter 16, and Tanner read this for us so, so beautifully. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, we, we, the bulk of the story, the focus of our story is that he's in there in prison. But the rest of the chapter is this idea that, you know, there's this fortune teller that's been following them around. They've been, she's been causing problems. She's demon-possessed. And because of her demon possession, she's making money for this guy. And once Paul has had enough of this girl following her around and causing problems for them, he finally, and I, and, and I hear it in a real aggravated voice, he just drives his demon out of her. And once the demon's gone, what's she not able to do? She's not able to tell people's fortune anymore. When she's not able to tell people's fortune anymore, she's not allowed to make money. Once she's not allowed to make money, her owner, his pocketbook has been hit, and he's aggravated. So what's he going to do? You caused a problem for me, Paul. I'm going to cause a problem for you. And so what does he do? He has them both arrested. Verse 22 in our text says, The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. You know, I think we read a story like this and it's almost tough to put ourselves in Paul's shoes. I mean, I've had bad days before. 
guys here with have you, have you had bad days before? But have you ever had a day where everybody just rose up against you and they drug you out in the middle of the street and they stripped you down and they beat you and 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 you're you're just I mean I imagine these guys not only are they physically drained and physically in pain and anguish, but they're spiritually spent as well. Drained of everything they've got, they have nothing left. With their backs bleeding and from the beating, they're black and blue. And I would imagine it may have even been easy. I don't know if they did. Text doesn't say this, but it'd be easy to get to the place where you're just mad at everybody around you. I've never had a day like that. But these guys did. It doesn't get much worse, does it? It doesn't get much worse than this day. And then chapter 16 and verse 25, the, the linchpin of the whole text says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. Is that what it says? No. You know the story as well as I do, many of you. Verse 25 says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening. Let that just sink in for a moment. Worst day of their life. And what do they do? They worship God. Let me share something with you I've learned from personal experience, maybe. When I get into a spiritual or emotional slump in my own life, it's usually because I've zoomed in on a specific problem or a specific issue, and, and I'm, I'm fixated on that one thing. I'm fixated on that thing that is wrong or that thing that is bothering me, and, and, and I'm, I'm so focused, and nine times out of ten, the solution, the solution to all of this would be for me to zoom out and focus on the big picture. But many times in our lives, many times in our lives, even the smallest things, the smallest things can become the largest Obstacles. I've always had this idea regarding our, our college students and young adults as they go to college and they're on their own for their first time. Does going to college make, make um, God any less important in their life? No, but many people, I'm not going to say they lose their faith, but they turn, they struggle with their faith in their college years. And I, and I do believe that it is because for the first time in their life, what is most pressing becomes more important to them than what is actually the most important thing. And what I mean by that is for the first time in their life, they're on their own. They have deadlines. They have papers due. They have tests they have to study for. They have laundry they have to do. They have to figure out how to iron their clothes. You know, all these different things. They're doing things on their own that mom and dad always used to help them with. All of a sudden, the most pressing thing becomes the most important thing, the actual most important thing, because they're having to figure things out in their life. And if we're not careful, even as we grow and mature, we still carry that idea that the most pressing thing in the moment, that thing that we're zoomed in on, like the presidential debate or the challenges of the virus, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm saying it's easy for us to get so focused in on them that they occupy our thoughts to a degree that draw our focus off of truly worshiping God. Sometimes it's about simply keeping a matter of true perspective. Sometimes we need to zoom out and look at the big picture 
and remember who's in control and remember who's in charge and remember what our calling truly is. And remember, just because we're not sitting in a building in a pew this morning doesn't mean that church has been canceled, doesn't mean that the church has been, has been put on hold. It just means that it's a little bit different today. But yet our focus has to remain the same. So how do we zoom out? How do we zoom out? I'll give you a one-word answer, and that is worship. Worship is taking our eyes off of the external circumstance and focusing solely on God. We stop focusing on what's wrong with us or what's wrong with our circumstances, and we start focusing on what's right with God. Paul and Silas could have zoomed in and complained about their circumstances. God, we cast out demons today. Don't you get it? Hey, God, we've been, we've been spreading your gospel all, these, all this time. And what do we get in return? We get beat in the middle of the street. Then we get thrown in jail. Don't you get it, God? Aren't you there for us? Don't you care about us? But instead, instead of complaining, they made the decision to worship despite their external circumstances. Now, here's what worship does. It restores our spiritual equilibrium. It helps you regain your perspective. It enables you to find something right in God, even when it seems like everything else is going wrong. Worship is zooming out and focusing on the big picture, on the God picture. It's refocusing on the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross to pay a price for your sins, for my sins. It's refocusing on the fact that God loves me even when I don't expect people to love me or even when I least deserve it. It is refocusing on the fact that God is going to get me where I need to go because where I need to go is where He is. It's refocusing on the fact that I have eternity with God to look forward to in a place where there is no sorrow and no pain. Worshiping is refocusing on the fundamentals of my faith and here's what happens. When we refocus, when we worship, it restores the joy of our salvation and we regain that spiritual focus. Now, is it easy? No. Nothing is more difficult than praising God when everything around us seems to be falling apart. But it's one of the purest forms of worship that we'll ever have. When our world is upside down and we find a reason to praise God, when we're focusing on the character instead of the circumstance, that's some of the purest worship you'll ever have. Oliver Wendell Holmes said that there's two types of simplicity. Simplicity on the near side of complexity and simplicity on the far side of complexity. And that, that may sound too deep for your preacher this morning, and maybe it is, but I want to take it a little bit deeper in a spiritual way. I think that there is worship on the near side or this side of suffering and worship on the far side of suffering or on the other side of it. And worship on the far side of suffering, I believe, has greater density and purity because it is that moment where we rise up above the suffering. We're worshiping despite our circumstances. One of the greatest stories I've read about circumstances, and, and I had this book at one time, and, and, and in the different moves that we've made, it's been lost. 
But it was a book by the name of a man named Viktor Frankl, and he was a Holocaust survivor. And he wrote this little book. It wasn't a big book. It was just a really little book about his time in the concentration camps. And he tells the stories uh, of them stripping them of their clothes, taking their pictures and their personal belongings away. They even strip them of their names and give them numbers. And, and Frankel's number was 119-104. He said a number he would never forget. He said everything was taken away except one thing. And this was my favorite quote from the book. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And I love that statement. I love that idea. And I'm absolutely convinced that the most important choice you make every single day is your attitude. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. If you have a critical spirit, if that's who you are, if you're a negative person, then your life is more than likely going to be full of negative experiences because that's what you're looking for. That's what you're drawn to. But if you live a life of worship, then more than likely your life is going to be full of more positive experiences even though the circumstances around you may be negative, your worship will be positive and you will have a better outlook on life. You will accumulate more positive memories. And at the end of the day, one way or another, our focus determines our reality. Paul and Silas were in prison. Their bodies were changed, but you can't chain the human spirit. And that's what Paul and Silas modeled for us 2,000 years ago. Their bodies were chained, but their spirits soared. Now, this is, I, I love to sing. I love to sing. I love getting together with groups of people and singing. I would have, you know, the question that, that hypothetical question of if you had a time machine and could go back to any one moment and just, just watch that moment, what would it be? This would be one of those on my list. I don't know if it's the exact, but this would be one of those moments that makes my list that I would have to, to think about because I would love to hear Paul and Silas sing. I don't know if Paul and Silas could sing. I don't know. They may have been the next great country duo. But then again, they may not could have carried a tune in the bucket. And part of me wonders if... If, if that was the power of their singing, that they couldn't sing. What I've learned in worship is there is nothing, and an individual comes to mind as, as I think about this, and maybe you have one too, but there is nothing more pure, more encouraging than hearing someone who cannot sing powerfully lift their voice in praise to God without caring who hears them and what anybody else thinks. And because of that attitude of Paul and Silas, there was a chain reaction that changed the lives of so many people that day. Let's stay deep. Albert Einstein says, you can't solve a problem on the level it is created. And I truly believe that problems we create on a human plane have to be solved on a spiritual plane. That's what happens when we worship God. It changes the spiritual atmosphere. It charges the spiritual atmosphere. I don't think Paul and Silas could have planned this miraculous jailbreak. 
To make a long story short, there's an earthquake. The prisoners are set free, but none of them leave. The jailer's about to kill himself, but Paul and Silas stop that. And, and before the night's over, him and his whole family are baptized, and they are saved right there in the middle of the night. <coughs> You can't script stuff like that. You can't plan miracles. But what you can do is you can worship God in the worst of circumstances. And when you do that, you never know what's going to happen. Worship sets the stage for God's actions, for God's miracles. Worship causes spiritual earthquakes that can change the landscape of your life and the lives of those around you. Worship is the shifting of tectonic plates in your life, and it may not change your circumstances but it can definitely change your life. Worship is the way we stay positive, even in the negative. And it's not a placebo, it's a reality. No matter how bad things get, as a cross follower, I have eternity with God to look forward to. My pain is real, but so is heaven. The good news is that this is only temporary, and the reality is that that lasts forever. The key is focusing on the right reality. I read a fascinating statistic one time, and I wrote it down. It fits what we're talking about today. We're fixing to wrap up here. I don't know how they judge this, but the research says that a person talks to themselves. Self-talk is what they call it. Thinks thoughts to themselves. They talk to themselves 50,000 times a day. 50,000 times a day. I didn't know I had that much conversation with myself. But the same research decided that 80% of that conversation within your own thoughts is negative. We have more negative conversation with ourselves than we do positive. We tell ourselves we're not good enough, I'm not smart enough, people don't like me. Here's what happens. When we let what's wrong with us keep us from worshiping what's right about God, we focus on the wrong reality. We focus on the wrong reality. Remember, we tend to see what we're looking for. A pessimist will always see something good, an optimist, or will always see something bad, an optimist will always see something good. Paul gives us some priceless advice in Philippians 4 and verse 8. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and here's where it ties in everything we've talked about today, think about such things. Let those things be your focus. A worshiper always finds something to praise God for because they're looking for something to praise God for. Worship is making our reality about God. So here's a closing thought. The circumstances that you complain about can very easily become the chains that imprison you. And worship is your way out. It was worship that set Paul and Silas free physically, and it is worship that can set you free emotionally and spiritually as well. Worship sets off a chain reaction. The prison doors fly open. The chains break free. And so I ask you this question. Are there circumstances in your life that are imprisoning you? And have you complaints about someone or something that's become your chains. Stop focusing on what's wrong with your circumstances and start focusing on what is right with God. I want to give you an assignment this week, okay? We're not together, 
over the next couple of weeks. So I want us to do this together, all right? My goal, I'm going to try to do this is every day, I'm going to try to get online for a little while and we're going to talk about this. I'm going to share with you some of my perspectives and maybe you can share some of yours. But I want you to take a piece of paper this week, keep it with you, do it on your phone if you want to. That's probably where I'm going to do mine. And I want you to keep a gratitude journal, a gratitude journal this week. And I want you every day to find something to be grateful for. And when you find that something or a couple of things, I want you to write those things down. And then as the night comes to an end, I want you to praise God in prayer for those things in which he has blessed you. And why are we doing that? Because Psalms 103 verse 2 says, Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. How has God blessed us? Let's change our focus. In this time where we've been put on pause and it's easy to get frustrated again and easy to wonder how bad's it going to get because that's what I've heard. I've heard over and over it's going to get worse before it gets better. This is just the beginning for us here at Haleville. The schools are fixing to shut down. We're not going to go to church. All this, all this circumstances. Let's refocus. Let's refocus on the gratitude we have for God. Let's write those things down and let's pray about those things. In the words of the hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done, because your focus determines your reality. Let's close our thoughts with a word of prayer today. God, I thank you so much for the time that we're able to be together. In the words of Paul, even though we're not together physically, we are joined together in spirit. And that's the most important thing, God, that spiritually we're on the same page, that we're united through you. But we thank you for that time today. God, I know that there's so many things that can distract us. There's so many things that pull our focus off, but help us as a church to make up our mind to be people of worship, to look at what's good in you above everything else. Help us to search the things in which we need to be grateful for, Help us to see your blessings. God, I pray for those that are in need of you spiritually today. May you soften their hearts. May you convict their souls. May you heal their spirits. May they let go of the burdens that keep them from being close to you. I thank you for our time. I thank you for our worship. I thank you for your word. Most of all, I thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. Thank you for Sean and his reading today to remind us of that moment and that it is not just a story, but it was a real moment in time that has lasting impact on our lives today. Bless our church family, God. Continue to help us have a positive attitude. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2020.